Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline 706-0111. Uh, if you would like to get in now in the third segment of this hour, be about it will be well in the first segment of the second hour you could. We'll be talking a lot of high school football in the second hour. And so there won't be um be talking to some coaches and won't be really interview time. So if you would like to um, to call in now is a good time to do it. We'll we will speak with Koki Riley about LSU football in about fifteen minutes or so, as we do each Wednesday. And so it's uh, will huge game for LSU. They've you know most of uh, they had the you know the openers night was a really nice opener against Florida State, and then you play uh, and then. You know, they've had three games where there's not a lot of fanfare there, but uh, a couple of them that there are. And the Mississippi State win was really nice, and now they're playing Tennessee, and it's a huge game against a team currently ranked in the top ten in a program that, you know, LSU's not lost very many games. Overall, I mean, historically, I'm talking about going back even before I was born. You know, Tennessee kind of owned the series. But of late, you know, the LSU's won. I think it's six out of seven now. And that one of that one loss was was a really I don't remember all the circumstances, but it seemed like the game had to be pushed to Monday because of a hurricane situation. It was the Katrina year, but I don't think it was Katrina. They weren't wouldn't have been playing them that early, I don't think. But it was the and it was just a bizarre game. LSU should have won. I, I don't remember the exact details, but I remember, man, LSU clearly outplayed them. They just one of those you just found a way to lose kind of game. It was kind of a fluky loss, thirty to twenty seven. But it, and it was it was played. I'm pretty sure it was on a Monday, if I remember correctly. The game was moved, and it was just a bizarre game. But. Um, but it was but other than that, LSU's kinda owned Tennessee. You know, going back to the Matt Malk and 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 Tennessee hasn't been very good, but in some of those years they were pretty good. I mean, some of those wins were in like SEC championship game type wins. Uh they've had a couple of those over Tennessee. So LSU's kinda owned Tennessee. We'll see if that continues. Um on Saturday morning. I know Many LSU fans do not like it. It is a media person's dream playing games that early um, in a lot of ways. But it's uh, not the fans don't particularly like it, and we'll see how all of that plays out. All right, yesterday I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just so over everything and trying to move on trying to focus on other things besides Saints-Vikings game and all of just, just the awful things the NFL did to the Saints again. And and then I see it yesterday. Again, at work, trying to get work done, writing stories and 
things that have, you know, Cajuns and high school, planning out week and making photo assignments and just trying to mind my own business, do my work. And I have to, it's like, I just wish sometimes you just, you just don't need to know. And, and, And right now where I am, I just don't need to know. And yet I'm right. I stumble across. Um, it is, you know, it was revealed or uncovered or, you know, shown, illustrated by uh, Nick Underhill and, and Jeff Duncan that in addition to all the other things that we complained about, that the illegal man downfield that killed the Saints' first drive, um, in the game was a bad call after getting a first down to uh on on a on a little dump screen kind of deal to uh to Superman and then the first touchdown that the Vikings scored should have been and therefore that means both touchdowns the NFL scored both touchdowns for the Vikings in the game the the 15 yard on the uh, penalty that contributed to one of their field goals on the kicker was bogus. So, I mean, they accounted at the very least 17, like, points. Like, it was just an out. Like, a lot of people don't like the word cheat. It was an out. They, the game was just stolen. I mean, they're just thieves. I mean, it, it, it was just, you know, because people – kind of buy the hype everyone always talks about the 2018 nfc championship game what took place in london sunday was way worse than the nfc championship game in 2018 in terms of the league's irresponsible enforcement of a game and it leaning overly heavily to one side it's not even close like if if you think that that game and that one call um, was worse than what took place Sunday. I, I just think I just think that's a clueless opinion, in my opinion. It's just clueless. I mean, that what what took place Sunday in London is now that we as more and more information and things are uncovered. I mean, it's just way worse than that. First of all, that that. The how much cheating took place in that in that game was was is overrated historically. It was one call. It was an awful call. I understand why it was made. I don't like it, and it's not the officials' fault. It's the NFL's fault because the NFL condones cheating, and they condone unfairness, and they condone and I and I've explained all the reasons why I believe that in recent days, and 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 I I I, I just. I was so angry yesterday after hearing that because it was so much worse than I thought it was. That uh, And it was already bad. I just almost scared myself how angry I was yesterday. So I'm trying to calm down. And I'm just begging and pleading the stupid NFL to not cheat me again Sunday. I just emotionally, I just, I just, blood pressure, I just don't think I could take it. And... And look, yesterday I was so angry that, like last year, uh, if for those who remember, 
I, I actually was thanking the NFL because when the Saints had that awful season of injury after injury and, and just, just, just awful, uh, the officiating was very fair, I thought, last year. You know, see, some people have this idea that it's um, the Saints always get cheated. That's not accurate. Uh, it, it, it's like it comes in waves. Like the 2000, the 2018 season, I thought the Saints were treated very fairly. That Again, that's the big misconception. The 2018 season, the Saints, I thought, were treated very fairly by the, by the NFL. Um, 2019 was the worst cheat job in the history of the Saints organization. I mean, they were cheated repeatedly it was and and just awful it was awful and um as bad as it's ever been I think worse than it's ever been and then it's just kind of happened here and there but this year they've been cheated out in two games really badly where the officials just took over and uh I, I just I'm waiting for it to even out waiting for it to even out so hopefully um they can, you know, just muster up enough ability or whatever it takes, wherewithal to, to not make up calls and at least treat the two teams. That's all I'm asking. Treat the two teams fairly. What what happened Sunday in London was an abomination of of, of what a league should do. It was is pretty close to as bad as it could ever get. It was bad. One team had an overwhelming advantage over the other team in the way the game was officiated. It was awful. And and it what you know, the Yucks game wasn't as bad, but in the second half, the officials just totally took over. Totally took over the game. And uh not just 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 awful. Well uh well I you know, just I mean they're not they don't care, so it's not like they're gonna do anything. Nothing's gonna get done about it. Uh, they don't care whether they treat teams fairly. And so all you can do now is is move on and try to win the next game and hope they don't cheat you again. I mean, that's you you know, that's all you can do. And hopefully they 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 can do that. Um Major League Baseball, I think everything is set. I don't, you know, we've been talking about it not a lot, but here and there. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, if it's best, Astros will play the winner between the wild card series between the Blue Jays and the Mariners. Who that Blue Jays team has always been a little scary for me. Now they did not win as many games a lot of people thought they would. They obviously weren't winning as many games as they thought they would because they fired their manager. But during the course of the season, but here they are, the top wild card team. And they have a scary lineup with some scary hitters. You know, uh, Springer obviously has done very well at times in the postseason in the past. Uh, Guerrero is, um, you know, just a beast at times at the plate. Bichette has been, you know, one of the hottest hitters over the last six weeks or so. I mean, he he is he's tough. And the Astros, uh, I want to say they went two and four against them this year. One of the maybe the only team. That's in the playoffs that the Astros had a losing record against this season. And almost every one of those games was a, I want to say at least four, if not five of those six games were one-run games. They were all real close, and the Astros just kept losing them. 
and all of that was early in the season. It was a long, long time ago. But but still, a nah, little bit on the scary side. I, I think I'd rather play the win. I think the Yankees have an advantage here. Of course, some of that is just matchups. Um, you know, the Guardians will play the Rays, two teams that neither one of them can hit a whole lot. And when they beat you, it's normally with pitching. So you got two pitching teams against kind of two teams that I would say they hit better, a little better than they pitch. And so you got two teams that are going to – it's going to probably on paper is a slugfest series. And then you've got two teams that it's more of a pitching series. And so it will be interesting to see how how that plays out. So I, I think on paper the Yankees match up the Yankees have the advantage there. And in other words, it was a little probably a little better to get the two seed than the one seed. But, you know, got to play the games. On the National League side, uh, the Braves clinched. And so we didn't uh, buy the hair of their chinny chin chin two to one, but they did. And, and, and even though the Mets won both games, all that, you know, potential confusion and, you know, what were they going to do with rainouts and all is, is over. And so the, the Phillies will play the Cardinals. I, I have no idea what to think of that series. The Phillies, uh, you know, they have a couple good pitchers. Uh, their bullpen, I guess, has improved some um, over what it's been. Um, but I, I really, I, I don't have any feeling. I don't, I don't know what to think of that series. And then we'll see what happens between the Mets and the um, between the Mets and the Padres, I, I would think the Mets would win, but who knows? The Padres are a weird, weird team. So postseason baseball starts Friday. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back, shift gears to LSU football. We'll talk to Koki Riley about the LSU-Tennessee game next on The Game. It's not uncommon here on Footnotes for Kevin Foote's voice and his blood pressure to rise rapidly during the show. The fat guys like you and me need to be watching mop-up time just like the stars do. Sometimes it rises a little too high. That is stupid. Stupid. Not to worry, we have EMT standing by just in case Foot passes out. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Just a reminder, Astros game 162. Last game of the regular season today against the Phillies and home first pitch set for 3 o'clock. You can listen to all the action right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Speaking of LSU, we have with us Koki Riley of the USA Today Network. How are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me on again, Kevin. All right. So uh, sometimes LSU and the Cajuns play at a different time, and sometimes it's about the same time. And so it's a lot harder for me when I'm covering the Cajuns to really kind of follow what happens in an LSU game. And and that happened this past weekend. I, I thought LSU was going to wax Auburn. Turns out it was a very different game. So uh, were you? How, once the game unfolded, how surprised were you? Uh, about the way that it, it transpired and what takeaways did you have from that game? Um, I guess it's kind of harder to have takeaways just 
because of the nature of these LSU and Auburn games, something that I sort of failed to mention in last last week. Um, uh, I knew about it. I, I just figured that LSU's talent would sort of take over, and it didn't necessarily. Um, eventually, it did. They they come back from the seventeen nothing deficit. Um, I, I think the one I think one a takeaway that I have, I guess, is just that uh, this team will fight. Like they don't really roll over. Um, like last year's team, for example, would have lost that game, and this year's team came back from a seventeen nothing deficit and won. This is the second second time that they've come back from third two score plus deficits um, uh, this this season. I mean, they, they came back from 13, 13 nothing down against Mississippi State. They almost came back and arguably should have come back against Florida State. And then there's this Auburn game. So there's a bit of a trend here, a bit of a pattern. Um, and I, I mean, and yeah, like the defense made some mistakes, but I, but I think overall um, they did a pretty good job of cleaning up most of it in the second half and. I don't know. Like, I think there are ways you can look at the game, and I think Auburn just flatly played better too. Um, I think there's ways you can look at the game and explain some some of these things without having it sound like too much of an excuse, so to say. So, I don't know. It's, I, I I think I leave this game overall thinking that we still don't really know how good this LSU team is, even if they're good at all. All right. So, what 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 did Auburn do well? Maybe a little better than you thought they would do going into the game that worries you down the road or for LSU or do you just like you kind of initially said and really I, I I've I've long said man this is LSU Auburn you don't know I just thought with everything going on in Auburn and the trend the way LSU had been playing that this would be an exception sure. and as you pointed out it wasn't do you just kind of put is say LSU Auburn and, and erase everything and just move on um I think what what you just said um I think you can put part part of this game on that. For example, the the four turnovers in the fourth quarter, like that's just crazy and kind of inexplicable. Um, I, I think Ashford looked better and more and more accurate and more confident than I thought he would look. I think that was a big difference in in what I thought they would do in this game. I think Auburn threw the ball more than what LSU thought they would as than LSU thought they would in this game as well. So. I don't know. It's just a. It's kind of a. Like most things, it's multi-dimensional. You know, it's, there's not like one reason as to why this game was close. I mean, some of it was because Auburn played better. Some of it was because LSU played worse, and a lot of it was also because uh, there's this. Uh, there's just this constant theme with the LSU and Auburn games where it just gets weird and wacky and wild and kind of inexplicable. Um, and to me, that was most of the fourth quarter. So. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I, I don't look at this game and say, "Oh, LSU is a bottom ring SEC team because they barely beat Auburn." I, I don't think that's totally true. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not. Don't take this game with a grain of salt because there are some things, especially with some of the coverage busts and especially with the lack of passing that that LSU had. I mean, how how much they struggled just to complete a ten yard pass in this game was. Was 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 alarming for sure, um, but yeah, let's let's sort of dive into the Tennessee matchup because I think that yeah. all right, so kind of intersecting. Right, all right. So one question before we get into that: Are we at the point now, or maybe it's still a little too early? You tell me. 
if we need the LSU fans need to stop worrying about like they're not going to have a polish efficient passing game. Like just get that out your mind and just try to figure out how to win games without a polish efficient passing game and sometimes explosive passing game. Or do you think there's still some hope there? I think there's still some hope just because of the talent they have on display. Like if this team didn't have one of the more talented receiving cores in the nation, I think that would be a safe assumption to have. But yeah, I, I, I think LSU fans just need to buckle in and be prepared for inconsistency. You know, they're not going to this. This team has a lot of new pieces, and I think we forget about that often, right? Brand new offensive coordinator, brand new head coach, brand new defensive coordinator, fifteen players, sixteen players from the transfer portal. I can go on and on and on and. When you're combining all these elements, especially when most of these players and coaches have never worked with each other before until the season, there's going to be ups and downs, right? Um, but I, I think that uh, when you factor all that in, it's, it's not nothing is ever going to go into a straight line. You just hope by at the end of the season that this program and this team is in a better spot than they were at, at the beginning. and. Um, I think they're probably going to look better at the end of the year than they do in the beginning, but than they did in the beginning, um, and be in a better spot overall. But and the passing game is like a really good example of one of those things that's just going to be up and down. Um, and Daniels has to play better. Uh, and I think a lot of the mistakes from that Auburn game, specifically, uh, just to talk about everything more in a micro perspective, um, I think a lot of it had to just do with accuracy. Some of it had to do with um, some of the, some decisions he made. I, I, I don't know. I feel like he's doing a better job of like going through his progressions, but at the same time, he just he needs to be more accurate. He needs you know, like some of those balls should have been caught by receivers, sure, but they were willfully willfully behind or willfully um, mistimed, or there was always something off. And I think usually it had to do with the quarterback. So I, he needs to be more accurate because I think I because I think the receivers are getting open. All right, we're speaking with Koki Riley. A lot of LSU fans, and this is more of a tailgating issue and tradition issue, they hate playing the 11 a.m. game. But I'm just wondering, you know, LSU's kind of starting to develop a trend here of maybe out-conditioning teams, and maybe that has something to do with the whole, maybe from physically and mentally, uh, kind of the comebacks thing trend that you talked about earlier. So if you're playing in the middle of the day at 11 a.m., could that be an advantage, a tactical advantage for LSU if indeed they're physically and mentally stronger in the fourth quarter than, than most teams they play? Yeah, um, I don't know how much this time this time thing has to deal with um, their performance specifically, but I think you make a really good point that this team plays better in the fourth quarter. A lot of it has to do with just they're just better conditioned and they're fresher. Um, than their opponents have been really consistently throughout the year, uh, at least in the games where they played power five opponents. Um, it, you see it, especially in the defense. Like usually defenses, when you watch a football game, the college professional doesn't matter. Defenses wear out as the game goes on. And it makes sense, right? Um, especially if they're on the field a whole bunch and, and their own offense isn't producing at the level that they should or not on the field a ton. Uh, they wear down as the game goes on, even if they do have a strong first two or three quarters. Uh, this LSU defense does not do that. They play better as the game goes on, which is not, again, that's not a normal trend. So uh, 
yeah, like absolutely, it, it can give them an advantage in this game, especially when you're going up against a Tennessee team that relies so heavily on its offense and plays at such a fast pace. Like to have that conditioning down is really going to help them, specifically for this matchup. But as for the 11 a.m. thing, I, I don't know how much of a factor that is entirely. Maybe that could sort of sort of affect the start that LSU has for this game, um, just because they have not played. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a morning slash afternoon environment, yet yeah, every single game has been the earliest game they've had is 5:30, so that could be that could maybe throw off their clocks a little bit in terms of the first quarter or two. But um, by the end of the game, you're right though; like they should be that should help them a lot. How would you kind of assess the matchup with the way? Tennessee throws the football compared to like the way Florida State threw the football, which was really a lot of like late in in the quarterback extending plays kind of thing, and then the way Mississippi State threw the football. Yeah, I mean this is this offense is much more closer aligned to a Mississippi State, you know, the spread the spread spread out system, um, faster pace. Like Tennessee plays with the fastest pace in the country. Um, we're and, and, but I think this Tennessee team, they, they do a better job of creating better, more explosives and driving the ball downfield with its quarterback a little more. I think Hendon Hooker is a better quarterback than Will Rogers, even if Rogers is pretty good on his own. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge challenge, sort of containing those explosives as well. So not just getting like like uh, paper cut to death down the field, right, with those with five, ten yard receptions. So. Um, I think a lot of this is going to come down to the health of Cedric Tillman. If he's healthy and playing really well, then that's going to be a problem. But if he's out or 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 not 100% and, and he's playing, that's going to help LSU a ton because then they can sort of shift the coverages more to Brew McCoy and that'll make that'll make things easier in, in covering their secondary receivers. But I don't know. I, I feel like if LSU can kind of get their safety play cleaned up a bit. Um, I, I think not having Major Burns in there and, and playing Joe Fouché, who played his first game all season last week, I think that really hurt them in coverage. It, it, if you look at some of the coverage busts, I think a lot of it had to do with just a lack of communication at that position specifically. Because I think at corner, one-on-one at least, in terms of communication, like the corners have played really well this season. But Kai Gardner's been arguably their best, one of their best defensive players He's probably been the best defensive player in the secondary for them this season. Um, but it's really just how sort of getting the communication cleaned up in terms of who has the help on those deeper shots and stuff like that because they cannot mess that up against Tennessee because this Tennessee team will abuse that much more than this Auburn team did. And that Auburn team was basically didn't have a passing game until last week. Um, granted, Auburn did play better, and uh, I thought – uh, Robbie Asher made some better throws, but at the same time, like, like Tennessee is, is, is just going to run rampant if you if make those sorts of mistakes. So, like, so yeah, like I, I, I just feel like this is going to be a really tough matchup for them. But I don't know, LSU might have a matchup advantage on the other side as well. So that's what kind of makes this an interesting game. All right. Again, we're speaking with Koki Riley uh, in terms of the two. You know, as you. You know, the Power Five kind of matchups that Tennessee's had so far. They gave up 27 points in the Johnny Majors Bowl and they gave up 33 uh, in the win over Florida. So how, how do you assess their defense and how to, and how LSU matches up with them? Yeah, uh, a lot of this game is going to come down to 
LSU's passing attack versus Tennessee's secondary. Because Tennessee's secondary has actually been one of the weaker secondaries in all of college football, and they just lost the starting cornerback for the rest of the season. So that's it's an issue for them. Um, I believe I think they're around. One of them, I think there were 128th out of 131 teams in passing yards allowed this season, which is kind of wild considering that they're also the number eight team in the country. That's how good their offense has been. Um, but yeah, they're secondary in, in they've given up a lot of yards through the air. So I, I feel like um, Anthony Richardson had his best passing game of the season against them uh, when Florida went to Tennessee. So I don't know. It, it, Jade Daniels is going to have to take advantage of that. And they have the weapons to do it. And it seems like they have the offensive line that can play well enough to protect Daniels and allow him to do it. He just needs to do it. Uh, it's really that simple. And, and there needs to be greater trust between him and his receivers. Um, there needs to be uh, just flat out better accuracy from him. There needs to be good decisions from him. Like a lot of this game is going to come down to Daniels as a, as a passer, because we know what he can do as a runner, of course. And he has flashed as a passer at times this season. And then, and had his really good moments, like in the like in the second half in the Mississippi State game. But this, if but if LSU is going to win this game, it's going to be because Daniels picks apart that Tennessee secondary as he should, especially how poor the Volunteers have been back there this season. But do you, do you kind of sense that you know? To me, LSU's not the kind of team that you'd want to do a lot of blitzing against, just because the quarterback is not a great passer, but he can really really run. And and yeah. and so and with all the issues they've had, I would think that they're not going to put a lot of pressure. They're going to kind of try to back kind of more of an a, of a passive deep pass defense and just try to keep LSU in front of them. Yeah, um, I think keeping LSU in front of you is, is that's that's not. I don't know if that's the greatest strategy, just because LSU sort of thrives in that short passing game and that quick tempo, right? So I think you're going to want to at least take some risks in terms of setting them behind the sticks a little bit because once LSU gets behind the sticks, they're kind of screwed because, yeah, they have Daniels as a fail-safe option as a runner, but at the same time, it's harder for them to get into their tempo if they're not if they're behind the sticks, right? Like, if you if there's a penalty, one of the reasons why they struggled so much against Auburn is because there were penalties that would set them back, there were incomplete passes, and all of a sudden they're facing – third and long and they can't really get into tempo in that third and long because there was some sort of setback in the play before, right? So um, if, if you're Tennessee, I wouldn't be too afraid of being aggressive also because this LSU team has had a lot of trouble generating deep passes and really pushing the ball downfield with Daniels' arm. I mean, he's only completed, completed I believe, four of ten passes um, of more than 20 yards, and that's just not going to cut it like you need to have some sort of deep passing attack to help open up the middle and intermediate and middle and short areas of the field in the passing game and to help the running game. So, yeah, like LSU is going to need to find a way to stretch the field. They're going to need to find a way to get into the tempo more easily um, because we know when this team goes into the tempo, the offense looks good. And um, I, I, it, it's it's all about rhythm and timing and <laughs> And tempo with this LSU offense, and a lot. And if Tennessee plays it too passive, then it's going to be much easier for LSU to get into that tempo. If that makes sense. It sounds like this is not the easiest game to get a read on. I'm, I'm I think so and so is going to win the game for this reason. Or, or where are you on that? 
Yeah. Um, it's not the easiest because, again, there's the Tillman injury. He's easily Tennessee's best receiver. He had surgery on his ankle this week, and they haven't ruled him out for this game, but it doesn't sound particularly promising for him. Uh, granted, I think they beat Florida without him, but, um, and they're coming off that bye week. But at the same time, it's, it's not great if, if you want to sort of challenge an LSU secondary that, yes, has had some, has some issues against Auburn, but for the most part has played well this, really well this season. Um, and then on the flip side, I mean, Tennessee secondary has been really poor, and that's not a good, that's just not a good matchup against LSU's receivers, regardless of what you think about Jane Daniels. So there is a good argument to be made. This game's also being played in Tiger Stadium. Yes, it's in the morning, but the game's also sold out. So there are a lot of things that you can point towards LSU and make a pretty credible case that LSU could win this game, even more so than I thought at the beginning of the week. Um, but I still lean Tennessee just because I think their margin for error is much smaller than LSU's in this is much larger than LSU's in this game. I, I just feel like Hedden Hooker, I have more confidence in him as a passer and a playmaker in a game like this. Now I think LSU's defense is going to have to sort of kind of have a, like a 180, not, maybe not a 180 performance from what they did against Auburn, but play much better than they did against Auburn. And um, that's going to be tough, especially when you, don't, when you don't have major burns in the secondary to help communicate um, all, all those plays, all, all that, that passing attack. And remember against Mississippi State, one of the reasons why the secondary played so well is because of him being in the back there, and he's not going to be there this week. So, I don't know. It's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tight game. I wouldn't be surprised if LSU won, but I'm leaning towards Tennessee still. All righty. Well, well, we will see what happens. It'll be very interesting. I appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Kevin. Take care. Koki Riley of the USA Today Network. And, uh, no, it seems like there's a lot of – there's a lot to sink your teeth into in this in this matchup and trying to handicap it. And I don't know that – I don't know that obviously this early in the season we really have – we totally know who these two teams are yet. And so it kind of makes it, uh, you know, make, makes it a little, a little dicier. You know, a month from now I think it would be a lot easier to predict, so we'll see what happens. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back. More with you on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home. For the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. a revolution in in the nfl for sure uh welcome back to footnotes kevin foot on the game southwest louisiana sports station your home for the lsu tigers and the houston astros the game hotline 706-0111 in this segment or in the first segment of the of the next hour or the last two times if you would like to get in talk about major league baseball the Last day of the regular season, two days away from the start of the postseason. Certainly feel free to do that. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot of high school football in the in the second hour. We are going into week six. The second half of the regular season already begins in high school football. 
And so we'll we'll be delving into some of that um, in the 10 o'clock hour. And certainly, um, you know, any remaining thoughts you have on NFL, college football, Cajuns do not play this weekend, and we just got finished talking uh, talking about the big LSU matchup against Tennessee. You know, I, I well, there, there are so many things that are, you know, you, it, it almost is amazing when you think about it having to do with sports. And last night, Aaron Judge, I'm not a big, you know, individual and records and all that kind of stuff guy, but Aaron Judge hit his 62nd home run, and he is number 99, and the Yankees' record after that game was 99-62. and 62. It's just when stuff like that happens, you just like, what? How can that be? It's also kind of amazing that the Yankees, with one game left, have not gotten to 100 wins yet. Not that that not that winning 99 games is is you know a bad season. It's a great season, but it's just where they were and the pace they were on. Um, the fact that they're one away is a little little bit of a little bit of a surprise. But um, but no, getting back, uh, the Saints acquired Chris Harris yesterday. So just those of you who aren't real familiar with Chris Harris, he's old. Um, you know, I, I've seen him play quite a bit because he played most of his career with, with the Broncos. Uh, he played nine years for the Broncos, two last two seasons with the Chargers. He's a four-time Pro Bowler. He was a All-Pro one year. He's got 22 career interceptions. I just he's 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 mostly a very feisty guy, a very emotional. He was a, in his prime. He was a very emotional player, a little on the small side. They list him at 5'10", 199, right around two hundred, and, and normally they're you know they lie about an inch or so. So he's probably five nine. So he, he he's a little on the on the smaller side, but always very feisty. Uh, has always handled himself well. Against the in the run, why the why the Saints picked him up is that an Alante Taylor thing? I, I don't I don't really know what all that is, other than the fact that he's played a lot of good football in his life, and maybe they feel like you know why not why not get him just in case? I I, I don't know, but again, thirty three year old cornerback, eh, I don't I don't really know how that is going to help, but we'll see. Um, injuries continue to cheaters. You know they lost arguably their best player in Trent Williams offensive tackle a couple weeks ago and then his backup got hurt in that win Monday night so he's now out I mean it's just you know last year the Saints had a lot of injuries but they're not the only team that has injuries and and there are a lot of injured players right now especially at the running back position you know going into tomorrow night's game Broncos are playing the Colts Um, Taylor's banged up there's, it sounds like he's going to play, but he's banged up. Russell Wilson even has a little bit of an injury. Obviously, the Broncos lost Javante Williams for the year, which is not good. I mean, he's a really good running back. And then they stole Latavius Murray from the Saints. You know, a lot of people were very upset about that. But, you know, if you believe all the reporting that's been done on it, you know, the Saints – offered him to to you know to to stay and 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 he liked the opportunity in Denver more he probably will you know I'm assuming that means 41 is going to be you know activated for the game and this weekend and um 
you know, I, apparently he just felt like he would get more carries, especially since, you know, Denver kind of had a two-headed monster. Williams was better, but, you know, Melvin Gordon just fumbled the ball and supposedly left the press conference in tears all broken up about it. I mean, I don't know where he is mentally right now. Uh, I think he's a talented enough back, Melvin Gordon, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's got, you know, fumbling issues in his head right now. So uh, he probably liked um, – the opportunity in Denver, which is kind of ironic because remember the cage, the saints played in Denver and the game where Denver played without a quarterback. And, and now, you know, he, they just kind of leaned on him in that game and he ran the ball down Denver's throat most of that game. So uh, he's had some, he's had that good performance for sure. And, uh, and then, you know, he's a former member of the Raiders. So I'm sure he's played in Denver, uh, in the past as well. So, um, the uh, again, the Broncos tomorrow night, I, I don't know what to think of that Colts-Broncos game because both teams are kind of like, uh, I don't really know what I'm watching here. And, and you know what that means? That means they're both still very much in preseason mode, and we're going to find out, like most teams, in about three or four weeks uh, what they really are. But up until that time, you gotta you got to accumulate enough wins to where when you get to that point, that you you know you're you're not behind the eight ball too much, and that's the situation the Saints are in. I think the Saints are going to be fine, you know, three or four weeks from now. The problem is how many wins will they have once they get to that point? And uh, you know, if they only have one or two wins, not going to do much good. Not going to do much good at all. Kind of sickening. I'm just so disgusted. So disgusted. All right, we'll take a timeout. Come back, finish out. The first hour of Footnotes on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to tell you tonight, tune in tonight. It's from 7 to 8 for the McNeese Coaches Show presented by Maplewood Burgers. Boy, that sounds good. Line a bed out of... Uh, Line of bed out of Westlake and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Our friend Jim Gazzolo, who just lost his little manager, and I'm sure that he's very excited about that. Tony LaRusso is no longer going to be the manager of the White Sox. Most of us around the country still trying to figure out why he ever was the manager of the White Sox. But anyway, our friend Jim Gazzolo will be talking tonight with LSU, I'm sorry, McNeese head football coach Gary Goff. And McNeese attempts to kind of continue to rebuild and, and, and get things head in the right direction. They played arguably the best team in the Southland Conference last week. And so, um, you know, the challenges will probably be a little less from here on out. We'll see that. But Coach Golf will tell you all about it. The McNeese Coaches Show tonight broadcast from Maplewood Burgers located 4453 Nelson Road. Tune in tonight. For the Magnich Coaching Show right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The uh the rebuilding process is not always easy. Um, you know, and it it you, you know, you gotta stay the course, as they say, and all those cliches, and we'll see. Uh you just you just hope that you get some uh something to kind of hang your hat on, something to kind of give you some some hope here or there, and 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 the Cajuns were kind of in that same situation. Not, you know, they're not rebuilding in anywhere near like what McNeese is going through right now. But 
uh, in terms of kind of seeing something to give you some hope. And, and the Cajuns, as we talked with Cody yesterday, you know, they competed better on the line of scrimmage against South Alabama than I expected because they really struggled on the line of scrimmage uh, and a, lo- and a lot over the first four games. And you could easily argue that South Alabama's better on the line of scrimmage than any of the teams that the Cajuns played so far this season. And so the fact that they, I thought, had their best performance on the line of scrimmage against the team that is better on the line of scrimmage than any of them gives you some hope that maybe some progress is being made there. And and uh, they're going to need that because, again, it's we got time to get into it, but, I mean, some of these games that didn't look so tough on paper going in were tough last year, and they're probably going to be even tougher to win this year. So we'll see how that plays out. All right, that'll do it for first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned on the game. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and on 133 LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111-706-0111. If you would like to get in and talk about anything in the world of sports, Obviously, we talked LSU in the first hour. We talked a little bit about NFL situation. We're going to be talking a lot of high school football. We're going to be speaking with Coach Zachary from OHS. The Tigers are in Opelousas are all probably the – I don't know that it's probably – they're the surprise team in the Cadiana area in high school football this year. So we'll hear kind of how they're doing and then get uh, caught up with LCA head coach Trev Falk. Uh, his Knights are off to a 4-1 and one start, and they will open District 4-4A play against Northside. And and on the other side of that, they, you know, they still have games left against Westgate and Turlings and St. Thomas Moore, and District 4-4A is, you know, a beast. And uh, the big matchup this week in high school football, Turlings is traveling to New Iberia to face Westgate. And that is going to – that is uh, – you know, going to be a very interesting contest because Turlings has uh, played very well. Their passing game has been very explosive this season with Preston Welsh, your quarterback, and Kentrell Prejean, who doesn't have a ton of catches, but it seems like almost every time he catches a ball, it's a it's a um, it's a touchdown. And so we've got you know that that going on. Um, I, you know, in District 3-5A, we're kind of waiting for, you know, when Acadiana plays Southside, it seemed like that's the big game left. But you got a really interesting contest. Uh, Karen Crow against Lafayette High. Lafayette High's doing very well. They've only lost one game to Acadiana. And, and Karen Crow's doing very well. They only lost one game to Southside. So um, I, I think we'll find out a little more about Lafayette High playing against Karen Crow. Uh, and we'll see how that game goes. That 
Lafayette's defense is, you know, struggles against the pass. It just does. And uh, they struggled with Steven Blanco last week, but a lot of people struggle with him. Man, is he good. If you haven't had a chance to see how hard Blanco runs for St. Martinville, um, you know, try to try to try to catch some of their one of their games because he he really is impressive running back. And, and so we'll have that one. And then we have in the other 4A district, again, we're going to be talking about Opelousas, but Brobridge plays Cecilia. And, you know, Brobridge is kind of rebuilding themselves. you got a new coach and Coach Lockhart, and they've had some nice wins and, and lost to some pretty good teams. Um, they did not handle Turlings' passing game well at all last week, but a lot of people haven't done that this year, uh, including Notre Dame. And, and, and Cecilia had just a great victory last week. I mean, they were down double figures, and they came back and, and beat Notre Dame at the um, at the wire, 25-24. You know, they're playing without – you know, one of the themes of high school football this year is the is the um, the is some injured quarterbacks and having to play with some backups. And Notre Dame's been struggling with that. And, and, and Diesel uh, Soler, it, it – is um, out with an injury for the season, and Jermani Davis is um, a really good wide receiver who is having to play quarterback. I don't know how long that's going to last, but that, that's what he did in the last game, and it worked. I mean, they got to win over Notre Dame, so that you know we'll see how that matchup goes is um, on Friday. So, again, we'll be talking a lot of high school football. So if you want to get caught up on anything else, again, we've got the rest of this segment, and then we'll be talking high school football the rest of um, the 10 o'clock hour. We, we haven't done a lot of that this year, and we're at midseason. So, and now once we get a little, you know, get into the regular to district play, full-fledged, where everyone's in district play, and we're getting some bigger matchups, we'll be talking a little more high school footballs. You know, something hit me since I left the show yesterday amidst all the stress and agony and pain and frustration of um, of the NFL and, and, and how it, it has zero regard for fairness. Um, that one of the things that I've said many times over the years in, in different formats is that I'm a year. I I make a lot of predictions or or make or emphasize something a year too early. Very often that happens. And by the way, the game hotline is seven zero six zero one one one. Very often that happens, and it and it and and it hit me yesterday. Well, actually, I think it might have been this morning early. That it's happened again. Does anyone remember? Maybe a few of you might. The crazy, th- you know, the thing that I was saying over and over and over again, uh, not so much a year ago, but a little bit, a year and a couple weeks ago. And what I even want to, I had a friend even make a T-shirt for me. And what I was saying through the whole pre, just get me to three and three. Just get me to three and three. Well, as it turned out, the Saints started out actually five and two before the injuries just just devastated the season. All the injuries came and and it was just the COVID and the injuries and it was just a nightmare. 
So it did the whole get me to three and three thing didn't really end up applying too much to how that season played out. And what my thought process was, you know, it's a transition year. Got to figure some things out, but I really think the roster's good, obviously, if it stays healthy, and it didn't. And I really think long-term this team's going to be really good. Just just give me a chance. Get off to a decent start. And as it turns out, a year later, we're, it's applying more to this year than way more than it ended up applying to last year. So I don't know what's going to hold. I, mean, I I don't know, you know, are they going to get cheated? Are they going to fumble the games away? Or, you know, are they going to keep playing? Uh, and not reach their potential. Who knows? But if you just right now, it's a year later. It really applies. Just get me to three and three, and then let's see what can happen. Because I really think some good things can happen. But if you don't get to three and three, it may not matter. A year too early once again. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey Kevin. Hey, you still don't have that shirt, though. I actually still do have it. Yeah, I might need to, to crack it out, break it out again. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Yes. You need to throw that in the washer and put that, you know, put it yes. back on. Just um, get me to three and three. Hey, I read that the line, the Saints were five and a half point favorites, and some places six. I think that's what I read yesterday. How well, can? Well, you know, Seattle's on the road. Seattle doesn't play a lot of defense. I think people kind of realize the Saints got cheated, and they also realize that the Saints are better than one and three, and they probably figure like they're going to be at home. The problem, my only issue, so I kind of get it, except for the Saints have not played at home. Like the Saints are not as good at home as they should be, and and sometimes that there's just an assumption that teams just automatically play better at home and and hopefully they start that on Sunday but they really haven't been that great of a home team in a while and don't you think like it's losing four games in a row doesn't happen to like good teams or decent teams even bad teams you know yeah it typically does not again uh you know after the Saints, when the Saints year. went to Orneville, that was a terrible circumstance game. You had three teams that were 0-2 playing at home and all three won. And I, and, and the Broncos having to play the, the Raiders last on Sunday, that was a terrible circumstance team. You don't want to play an 0-3 team, especially at home. That that That's pretty good or has some talent. And, you know, it's just normally you win those games. So hopefully it works that way for the Saints on Sunday. Yeah. Hey, do you think? You think the uh, Seahawks have a better offense than people give them credit for? You know, excluding the the Lions game, right? Oh, definitely. Now, again, yes. No, there's no question. They've been way better than we thought. I mean, Penny's done fine. They've got two way above average wide receivers. And Geno, most people thought he was bad, but he's played pretty well. Now, again, he's mostly playing you know, teams in preseason mode. We'll see how it goes long term. But but no, he's done very well. Their issue's been the defense. Look, if you go back and look, and again, I, I hate overanalyzing because we all do it, preseason games. But if you go back to that season opener, the Broncos moved the ball up and down the field. The Broncos have really struggled offensively since then. Oh, that's true, yeah. You know, but the Broncos moved the ball up and down the field. On, on Seattle in that game. So hopefully the Saints can do the same. What just, the Broncos didn't do is finish off in touchdowns, and hopefully the Saints can figure yeah. out a way to do it, you know, if they don't start throwing in bogus illegal man downfield calls. And, bro, 
Alvin Kamara has to show up for this game. Well, it's Enough time for him to play hard. Stuff, uh, you you know. need, he need, it's time, bro. I thought he played hard in the third quarter in Orneville, and he, other than that, I haven't seen him play hard very often. Anyways, um, yeah, yeah, uh, no. I, I just need Alvin Kamara to show up because, like, he. Anyways, I lost my train of thought. No, uh, they just need a win. I mean, just get me to three and three. I'm back to that again and hit me. Oh, wait. What I was going to bring up, last thing. Uh, Before this even started, everyone laughed at Atlanta. But I think, I I seriously think they're the best team in the division, and they might get the last laugh. We'll see, though. It it sure feels like, doesn't it feel like Atlanta might be the best team in this division? Well, they run the they run the football look, and they play defense. Atlanta has played the best football during the preseason phase of the regular season. There's no doubt about it. You're absolutely correct. They have played the best football to date. Again, the only te- the only time the Saints have been outplayed this season in four games was the Falcons, and that's the only game they won. That's why I'm about to like jump off a cliff emotionally right now but uh but no it, no you're right they played the best football now are they that that does not necessarily mean they're going to be the best team two months from now but so far there's just no question they played the best football yeah Eric, i appreciate it thank you all right let's go back to the game hotline hello hello good yes sir Hello? I don't know what's going on there. Are you there? I don't know. Must not. Misconnection some kind of way. No, no, it's an interesting point that David brought up because the Falcons are playing um, the Yucks on the road. Another early season division game. I love NASCAR. But, um... And on paper, you say, well, the Yucks are going to kill them. And they might. I mean, you know, uh, when teams have been struggling and they play at home, they normally play well and win. Now, we'll see if the, hopefully the Saints can do that as well. But but, but to David's point, the Falcons have played the best football. Not, I, I, I just don't, I don't think they're the best team. And I, I think once we get far away from the preseason phase of the, of the regular season, I, I think – that's going to play out not that way. And plus, they've lost, they they just put Patterson on the on the injured reserve. Now I don't know how long he's going to be out exactly, but you know, he is a huge part of what they do offensively. So I don't know I don't think they're going to be able to maintain what's been a pretty good level of play so far and a better level of play than anybody, than just about anybody was projecting coming into this season. So I, uh, I you know, the Patterson injury is is, is going to hurt them. But, but yeah, he, um, they, they played well. I think that's a good point. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, Foot. How's it going? Good morning. Glorious day, you know. Being a good Yankees fan, broke that record 62 stays with the Yankees, of course. I mean, we own that record, of course. <laughs> one, one, lost one. We got a bye week like y'all. I believe y'all going to meet those little Sion Marins and lose, and we're going to go on to the championship. See, everything is happening the way I said so far, of course. 
Man, the man did. says the Mariners are going to beat the Blue Jays. You think the Mariners are going to beat oh, the Blue yeah. Jays? Yeah. Huh? Oh, yeah. I think it's, I think it's going to be a walk in the park. I mean, I think it's going to be a tough game when they play y'all, but y'all going to lose. But I just know that we're going to win it all. We're going to the champion. Everything's happening, like I said, so far that I predicted. But, I mean, it's a gift and a curse at the same time. Woo! So, I mean, I know they fear the Yankees. It's our year. Everybody fear it. They shake it in their boots. <laughs> Woo! Uh, I don't think but, so. Now, you see, I want to add this. They got this guy that keeps calling. I've been listening. His name is Runaway Martin. Talking about my guy trying to put that stipulation out there, that judge taking steroids. We need to stop all of that. And you trying to fall in there because there's a contract here. We're not doing that, but we don't do steroids in Yankee land. Now, oh, I don't know anything about steroids. Exactly. I mean, we, we don't do that in Yankee land, my point. Exactly. So, I just want him. I know he listens. I want to let him know. I think he should be a Dodger fan because all he do is run away and dodge people whenever his team lose. Can't find the man for it. I'm looking for him. I think we need to put the APB out on him. That's all I'm saying. But need to find the guy. Okay. I mean, he he hiding from me. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sure you'll find him. He he calls mo- he calls a lot of days, so we'll see. But he dodging it. All right. Focus on baseball, not football, and you're going to be well, – that's your medicine this year. Yeah, I do need it. Do it while you can. You're right. He's not going to do nothing this year, my brother. Relax. Well, Have I'm, a good I, one for I, you. All right. Take care. Oh man, I, I I I hope baseball does me well. You know the Astros have you know had a fabulous season, but that doesn't mean they're gonna get it done in the postseason. But boy, do I ever need it to happen to get done in the postseason. All right, that'll do it for first hour. Another hour to follow on the game. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. We're going to be talking a lot of high school football today, and we're going to kick that off by um, talking to, I would say, the coach of the biggest surprise team so far through first five, first five weeks of the high school football season, Coach Jimmy Zachary of the Opelousas Tigers. How are you, sir? Man, I'm doing great, man. How you doing, man? Well, I'm I'm sure you are doing great. Off to a four and one start with the only loss being to an undefeated Turlings Catholic team. And uh congratulations so far. So, you know, I I want to get you I know you a little bit. So tell me about you 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 played at OHS? Yes, sir. I played uh from ninety seven to oh one, man. I graduated in two thousand one from OHS. Uh from there, man, I went uh, to Grambling State University, the best school in America, by the way, uh, to uh, play ball there under Doug Williams and then Melvin Spears. Uh, graduated with my undergrad. Uh, then I went back, got my master's, did a little GAN under uh, Rod Broadway. And then from there, I uh, went to Farmerville, Louisiana, and uh, took a director of a uh, recreation job there. And then I volunteered coach with uh, Joe Spadafora, and that's pretty much where I cut my teeth in coaching, man. And uh, from there, we won, uh, I think, well, we won state in 13. I was a defensive coordinator there. Uh, Left there, I left with the offensive coordinator at the time at uh, Farmerville. He got a head coach job at uh, Dumas in Dumas, Arkansas. So I went with him, and I was his D coordinator there for uh, a year. I then left there, uh, went to Bastrop, Louisiana. Uh, with Marcus Yanez uh, for a year. 
And then from there, I went with Darnell Lee at uh, East Ascension High School in Gonzales, Louisiana. I was his defensive coordinator for three years there. And then I, you know, uh, got my dream job back home, man. Okay, so you, you, you say that. So, you know, Opelousas, you know, I, I went um, – I didn't play football, but I was a student at Acadiana in the early '80s, and 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 so I remember playing against Opelousas, and man, they were. And then I started working at the paper and covering Opelousas in the mid late '80s, and then you know Coach Dotree got there in the early '90s, just fabulous athletes and football programs, and and after that, I hadn't had a lot of success. So, how important was it for you to come back and try to establish what it seems like you've established in bringing that winning back to to Opelousas? Oh, man, it's very important, man, because, uh, again, Opelousas is an athletic town, man, uh, a football town, uh, and we got away from that after Dole left, man. Uh, it became more, you know, basketball is winning, and you want everything to win, but, again, you know, I grew up watching football. I grew up going to the football games on Friday night, watching uh, the 92 Tigers go undefeated and beat the, the uh, who they beat? John the Curtis. <laughs> The John Curtis. I watched that game. They beat John Curtis. I think it was three overtimes, man. You know, going down Cresswell Lane, seeing the, you know, the businesses. Uh, we're closing to go and support our Tigers. So it was very important and uh, it was very important for me to come back and, and and try to get back to the winning ways. You know, so again, uh, because again, I, it's all about tradition for me. Because we have it here, we we just lost it. So it's just. I just, I just honestly think it's time for us to be back where we need to be. So again, we're speaking with Opelousas. Uh, high head football coach Jimmy Zachary. So, coach, what was the coaches who go to a new situation like this? They always talk about culture. Like, what was the biggest thing that you did to kind of start establishing that culture you want to have a winning mindset? Uh, well, first, in order to win, you got to have a little discipline. You got to have it, man. Uh, it was a, it was that was the biggest. I think the biggest hurdle we had to fight when I first got this job, man was the discipline, you know, kids coming when they want to come, buying into uh, the off season because they didn't they didn't do that here before I got here. You know, I don't know what they did before I got here. The previous, they didn't do the summer workout. They didn't do a spring, you know. So they didn't they didn't believe in lifting weights every day. That You know, they didn't believe in condition or being held accountable if you did something wrong or, and doing a, a Tiger reminder. You know, so that's 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 some of the things I know Doe did, and you know, just just talking to the former players and you know, doing my research, sitting down with Doe. You know, again, uh, I think that was the biggest hurdle. Once I established that, you know, everything else will come because again, it don't make a it don't make a hell how good you is as an athlete if you ain't disciplined, you're gonna lose. Period. Now. I heard you say defensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. So did you come with a certain offensive philosophy or that you wanted or did the athletes that you have kind of determine that? Well, honestly, uh, you know, coming from Formerville, man, oh, that's all we did. We smashed mouth yes. down there. And I knew I wanted to create that culture here. But uh, I kind of, uh, by default, I kind of gave – uh, a few guys, when I first got, I had two different offensive coordinators. Uh, I gave them opportunities, you know, to, to implement their deal, but while still trying to run what I want to run, but I, I never want to handcuff anybody, though. But it didn't work out the way it needed to work out, and then we finally got somebody, uh, James Bush, he actually graduated from here. Uh, Oliver Theory, he graduated from here, and Joshua Edwards, he graduated from They all worked together. Uh, with the on the offensive side of the ball, man, uh, and I want to be a smash mouth football team, 
and uh, we went through that. We actually went uh, transitioned to it last year, probably like around week five, and that's when we went on our winning streak. Uh, and we got in the playoffs and actually got a playoff win, and we just kind of picked back off where we left off from. And now those kids are in a system that they're familiar with, number one, and that they was in the year before, so they're comfortable with it. And uh, and it just kind of grew on them, and they took the mentality of the coaches. So, so far, obviously, you know, y'all lost your first game, but it was to Turlings, and, and they're undefeated, so they're obviously a good football team, and, and, and y'all haven't lost since. So tell us about – I've heard about some young players that are just off to fabulous starts in their career and really show to – given the indication of a really bright future for your program. Tell us about those kids. Um, well, number one, we're going to start with our quarterback, uh, the kids, Malvo, man. Uh, we started him as a freshman last year uh, and it kind of went away from him. Because you know he showed a little a little sign of being young, and we we understand that that's, that can't be a lot for you at, as a quarterback as a freshman. Uh, but he came back this year. He said he was ready, and and he's been showing that man. Last game against Louisville, he had uh, over 140 yards rushing, four touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns, and he passed for two touchdowns. Uh, he's all he's coming into his own, man. He's starting to figure it out. Uh, he's 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 one. He's definitely have a bright future, man. Real strong arm. He's running like a four five forty. He's a real good athlete. Uh, another one is Deshaun Ford, our running back. He's another guy who started as a freshman. He's a sophomore now. He's probably about five eleven, two twenty. Uh, another four five forty guy. Uh, real big, strong in the weight room. Uh, he's gonna be somebody to look out for too. Uh, Corey Amos. He's a defensive outside linebacker. Uh, he's about six four. Uh, he's coming to his own great pass rusher. He got he's real athletic in space. He could drop, he could tackle in space well. Uh Travis Esprit, he's another middle linebacker. We start all these guys are sophomores I'm naming. That we started as freshmen. Uh Jacoby and all the way in the nose guard. He's another one that you could be looking out for. Don Travis Parrish. Uh Jonathan Ford, that's another one. That's that actually uh Deshaun the running back's brother. He's uh he plays DNs. He's gonna be a big in too. Uh Landon Hammond, he's about a six one uh cornerback. I don't know if you ever heard of Robert Hammond. Oh, absolutely. I've been around a while. First, I remember yeah, it. That's that's his that's his first cousin. I got you. Yeah. So that is yeah, that that, that sounds like man, it just, just just loads of talent there. Now, this week you're playing another team. In Iberia, it was a coach who's taken over, trying to establish a new culture after a rough season last year. And it seemed like they've done some pretty good things offensively so far that could be a little tricky for your defense. What do you see so far in Iberia? Um, I'm going I'm to I'm tell you the truth, man. Me and my coaches were talking about this yesterday, man. Iberia is a good football team. Uh, but they, if you look at the, the teams they lost to, the Acadianas, the Cancros, the Southside, those are great ball clubs they lost to, now. Right. So I mean, you, you you can't really judge them off the record because look, you got to look at the competition they play, and you know those programs are that's that's one thing about being like you said taking over a program, trying to establish a culture. You got to understand that's that's hard beating teams like that when you're trying to establish, you know. So again, I, those those guys are good. Like you say, they have a great quarterback, real athletic, long. Uh, they have great receivers that run good routes. Uh, so we we gonna have to come to play, man. Now, is the, we definitely not looking at this game as a pushover game, or or we just gonna run over these? No, 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 no. We gonna we gonna have to come to play, or they're gonna beat us. 
Well, there Coach, we it, was, it was great catching up with you and getting to know a little bit about your program. I've been looking at them scoring and saying, man, Opelousas is back. And so for someone who's been around for you know almost 40 years now, over 40 years, it, it, it's kind of nice to see some of these old programs that used to be really good coming back. So congratulations. Uh, g- good to get to know you and good luck to you. Thank you, man. You have a good one, bro. You too. Thank you. Coach Jimmy Zachary at Opelousas. And no, I, they've done just a just a fabulous bang-up job so far. Four and one going into a non-district game against New Iberia. And then, you know, suddenly they're going to be them and Op- in Cecilia, I guess, would be the teams to beat in, in, in their district. So we'll see how that goes down the road. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, shift gears a little bit to another football coach on a big high school day of on footnotes. Uh, Lafayette Christian head coach Trev Falk next on the game. All righty, welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. And want to remind you, if you have not joined the game clubhouse by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, what are you waiting for? It's free, it's simple, so sign up today. And if you sign up, it'll get you eligible for all kind of prizes here and there that come up as well as our regulars like $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or maybe a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. You can't win any of these prizes or be eligible for future prizes that come up if you don't join the game clubhouse. So do so today. All right, we have with us Lafayette Christian head football coach, Trev Falk. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? Haven't spoken to you in a while now, and it seems like, you know, you have the one blemish. But other than that, uh, is it fair to say the season is going pretty well for y'all so far? Yes, sir. So far, so good. So far, so good. So, like, what were some of the preseason kind of question marks, even a good program like y'all's? You know, every team has a few question marks here and there. What were some of those, and how have those kind of worked themselves out over the first five weeks of the season? The first one would, would have to be the offensive line. Uh, we had we had three guys back with experience. Uh, two of them have started extensively for us the last couple of years. So we kind of knew we had with a couple of those guys. We've had uh, a converted defensive lineman in Zion Bell who's done a really good job for us at center. And uh, we've had uh, Britt Miller, uh, who's a sophomore, who's done a really good job for us at, at, at offensive tackling. Caden Rose, another sophomore, uh, who's kind of been uh, been the sixth guy, who's played a whole lot for us as well, has done a good job as well. And so um, offensive line and then in our kicking game, um, as far as PAT field goals, uh, Rylan Thomas has done a really good job for us there in addition to all of the other guys that make up uh, that unit. So those were two of the bigger question marks that we had coming in, and uh, those guys have done a really good job. And hats off to the kids and, and uh, the coaches as well uh, for preparing them and, and getting them ready to go. You know, one of the – y'all have always played, or at least in recent years for sure, played really tough pre-district competition. But And y'all did that again. I mean, you you know, you know, played Acadiana, Ruston, and, and, and Jesuit. And, I mean, some really good programs and, and, and teams that really, you know, play physical, sound defense. So you're certainly prepared. But the dynamic is a little different because normally you're playing all those to get your – you know, get your – 
power rating or whatever it could be and district play, you know, you're going to be heavily favored in almost all the games except for maybe the Notre Dame game in the past. Well, now you're doing that almost to prepare for district. So has the dynamic been different or does it seem about the same as recent years? It seems about the same as recent years, the way that, that we have gone about handling our business and preparing um, for the season and everything has been the same. Uh, I think probably the, the non-district schedule was the toughest one uh, that we played uh, thus far. And then going into district, um, it'll be the toughest district schedule that we played. But we, we've tried to keep our, our preparation and our routine similar uh, to what we've done before. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, inter- I'm interested to see how things shake out for us over the course of, uh, of the next five weeks. So how before we get to district play, how how unique, how different was it preparing and playing of oils? Because we spoke to Coach Chaponche and he, he thought it was very different than preparing and playing just about anybody else he's ever played. Of oils plays football a little different than most people. Right, right, definitely. It's it's just a whole um, mental. It's a it's a it's a shift in, in your whole mindset, really, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, not only is it tough to replicate uh, what they do offensively in practice with the the motions and the tight splits and some of those things, but just the whole mentality of, you know, typically on defense when you hold the team to two and a half yards uh, per play, you're doing a really good job. Well, they want to average two and a half yards because they're going for it on fourth down regardless. Right. And so that, that whole deal there, you know, changes and it, it kind of takes you out of the routine of, being able to go and stop three plays and then go on. And then, of course, when they do score more or even to start the game, on it's a little side kick, a little side kick. And, um, so it, it, it definitely changes. All right, again, we're speaking with Lafayette Christian head football coach Trev Fogg. Now, y'all are opening up district play at Northside, and that's a place where you've spent some time, and I'm sure you still have some friends uh, it's got to always be a little tricky playing against Northside when you've been there before. The Vikings are off to a 3-2 and two start. And um, where have you seen it? Obviously, there it looks like they're a better football team. What, what, do, you, what do you see from them on film? Yes, sir. They, they definitely are. Um, definitely have a lot of love for for Northside and, and for, for, uh, for the people that are there. And I'm uh, really happy to see them off to a good start uh, this year. They're similar, not scheme or structure-wise to Vols in that they don't have a ton of kids. Um, like a Vols, you know, did or also didn't, but they have some guys that can really hurt you. They have some really good players within the limited amount of numbers that they have. And so they've they've, they've done a really good job of, uh, of utilizing the playmakers and the players that they do have. And they have some guys that, that definitely uh, can give you some headaches on both sides of the ball. So um, we started off and, and had a really good work day yesterday and uh, looking forward to continuing to, to try to prepare the right way for these guys. As far as, you know, your players and you and your fans, I mean, everybody knows the good teams in your district that you're about to play from here on the rest of the season. You know, St. Thomas More has been good at football for a long, long time. I mean, that's going to be a lot of fun at the end of the year. And then Westgate is the reigning state champions in 4A. We know how good they are. And Turlings is off to an undefeated start. And Turlings is playing Westgate. You know, in previous years, y'all have been like the overwhelming favorite to win 
your state championship. And you're certainly one of the favorites, but it's not like a lock. It, does that mean with the district you're playing in and the fact that y'all are playing up, it, is it a little more of a, of a daily focus? Or, or how have the kids handled that this year as opposed to previous years so far? Honestly, even even in the past, that's kind of one of the things that we took a lot of pride in as a staff, as a our kids, as a program, is just preparing. And I know it's kind of cliche, but just preparing for the the opponent that was ahead of us, that was in front of us. And of course, with the with the nine district schedule that we had this year, you can't afford to even peek ahead or peek at anyone else because you you'd get embarrassed on that particular Friday night. And this district schedule kind of presents the same. Uh, challenges for us and just being able to prepare and focus on um, the task that's at, that, that's at hand for us. We use a saying that every week is a big week. Every game is a big game. We don't believe in, you know, only certain opponents are the game being big because of this opponent or that opponent. We believe that it's a big game because that's the only one that we get to play in. And so we have to do everything that we can to try to prepare for it and go out and play well in that particular game. And so that mindset is definitely carried over uh, to this year's team as well. The thing that has carried y'all, you know, you've had years where you've had, you know, fancy offenses and, and, and wide receivers, and, but the, the, the basis has been the defense. A lot of new names on defense. How would you assess the progress of, of that unit so far? Definitely heading in the right direction. Um, definitely heading in the right direction, especially when you consider uh, the caliber of teams that we play against. Um, we, we've had some kids that have really been able to step up and do a lot of really good things for us. Um, and, and still, even even us as a staff, we're, we're figuring out uh, how to match the pieces to the puzzle together and put kids in the right spaces, in the right spots where they can kind of flourish and, and excel and, and really um, take advantage of the, the talent that they have. And so I think right now, five games in, we have a pretty good feel for who goes where and what he does best and how all, how all of our kids complement each other. But our kids are doing a, they're doing a really good job on defense. All right, so as far as you know, your your, your quarterback Jawan Johnson, he is beca- he went from two years ago where he was thrown into the fire. Now he's kind of a playmaker. I'm sure he's kind of improved and taken the next step. and And where has he had that improvement this year? I think just his overall knowledge and understanding of of the scheme and understanding. Um, not only what he does, but why he's doing it. And then uh, he, he's also displayed an ability to get us in and out of uh, some really some really tight situations. So I think his mental uh, growth, his football IQ has, uh, gone, has, has improved, has increased. And really just because um, he's been an athlete his entire, you know, coming, uh, upbringing. Uh, he wasn't always just a, a kid who played quarterback since the fifth grade, he's always played multiple spots. And so him being able to settle into one position over the last two years has really helped him to grow. And um, he's made a, a tremendous amount of plays for us this year. And we're looking forward to seeing uh, what he can do throughout the rest of the season. All righty, sir. Well, it's always good talking to you and catching up with you. We appreciate your time and uh, good luck to you all the rest of the season. Yes, sir. Likewise. Thank you. All right. You. Thank you. Trev Falk, Lafayette Christian head coach. And, you know, they played a lot of teams that are really good on the line of scrimmage, and they got a few more 
uh, the rest of the way. It's going to be fun to see how that district plays out. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll be back with more on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. All righty, welcome back in to Footnotes on the game. Want to remind you about the 13th gate. The game would want you to face your worst nightmares by hooking up with tickets for the one of the top haunted house attractions in the country. The 13th gate. Simply need to text the word gate, G-A-T-E, to 337-283-8100. Text gate to 283-8100. You may, wear, may win a pair of general admission passes to the 13th gate courtesy of midnight productions the game 1037 lafayette 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's <coughs> all right so the um we were talking some high school football and we end up talking more way more about the cajuns tigers and and, and saints and and even major league baseball this time of the year but we are in week six folks Week six, like half the high school football regular season anyway, is gone. And so things are about to get interesting. And we just, you know, got got talking to LCA coach Trev Falk and and he um and he's part of this district four four A, which is gonna be fabulous. Obviously, you know, this weekend you've got Turlings in Westgate, then you've got um uh coach the, the Knights open up with Northside, but then you still, you know, you still got St. Thomas Moore's got to play Turlings, and St. Thomas Moore's got to play Westgate and LCA. That's at the very end of the regular season. And then, you know, Westgate's got to play um, LCA and just so many good matchups here. But, you know, some other things have kind of to kind of watch out for in high school football uh, so far this year through five weeks. And one of them is Opelousas. Um you know, we we spoke to Turlings Catholic coach Dane Chaponche a few weeks ago, and he was commenting on. You know, a lot of us were kind of curious because early on they opened their season. Turlings did at home against Opelousas, and the you know Opelousas started that game. They went on this long drive and ate up all the clock and and scored a touchdown. And Turlings was kind of struggling at halftime of that game, and you know. Because Opelousas has not won many games in the last, for a while now, a lot of people, that raised some eyebrows and said, man, I thought Turlings was going to be good. And I remember talking to to Dane after the game, and, and, and he was like, I'm telling y'all, Opelousas is good. Well, since that game, Turlings went on to win that game 32-14. And since that game ended, Opelousas not lost the game. So he he kind of looks right. I mean, they've got some good young players, and they've done a great job. But, you know, Southside we've talked about on our family. You can hear all the Southside games right here on Mustang 107.1 FM. And, and, and Southside's done very, very, very well so far. A couple of weeks ago, we interviewed Coach Prejean from uh, Vermeer Catholic, and they've done a fabulous job. So there's some teams – that are off to some really nice, interesting starts. Uh, as far as this Friday night, there's only one game. I just mentioned for me and Catholic, they're hosting Covenant Christian. Huge favorite in that game. So don't really, you know, not really a lot expected there. But 
Um, you know, some other good Abbeville is hosting St. Charles. You know, St. Charles is a team that beat LCA in the Division Three state championship game last year. St. Charles uh, played. I, I covered the game. They, they played at Turlings a few weeks ago, and 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 that was a great game that went down to the end. And so, um, Abbeville's kind of stepping up in class here, playing a really physical, defensive-minded, run-the-football kind of team, so we'll see what Abbeville does against them. Then there's a couple of teams to kind of keep an eye on. Ascension Episcopal has not gotten off to a good start. They got their first win last week. Catholic Eye of New Iberia got their first win last week, and they just crushed Eunice, which kind of came out of nowhere. An 0-4 team, and they went and they played Eunice and handled them. And so now you have Ascension Episcopal playing Catholic Eye of New Iberia. So that's a, a real interesting matchup to see how that goes. And so, again, there are uh, the, the the premier game this week is Turlings and Westgate, no question about it. In New Iberia, we'll see what happens there. But there's several other teams to really pay attention to, and we'll have more comments on Friday having to do with the high school football. Week six already in high school football. All right, that's it. Appreciate uh, Koki coming on. Appreciate Coach Falk coming on. Y'all have a nice day.